Caleb. Yep. Well, I'm humbled to be here this morning, and uh, it's good to see you. It was fun uh, being able to share in the first service this morning because uh, I saw a lot of people that I didn't know. That's one of the one of the challenges of a larger church like this is that. Uh, you know, it takes a little bit, a bit longer to get to know everybody, and, and, and I appreciate being here. I'm so grateful that God led us to Spokane Valley Bible Church. It was, it, it was a real challenge. When we left Corum, Montana, and uh, moved back to the valley, and in fact, we grew up here, uh, both Chris and I, uh, we hadn't lived here, though, for, well, over 40 years, and... It was quite an, an adjustment. This, by the way, this is not the community that we left. <laughs> it's changed a little bit. Those of you that have been around for a while know that. But we had to find a church. We had to find a new church home. We were in Machias for many years, and I'm very thankful for that fellowship. They nurtured us, taught us, we grew there, and they sent us out into ministry. And they still support us from time to time. They sent us uh, just a very generous Christmas gift just uh, last week, and uh, humbled by that. But then we were called to Village Missions. And when you go to candidate school with Village Missions, the very last thing they ask you, the last question at candidate school is, are you willing to go anywhere we send you? And if you answer that question wrong, they don't take you. There's only one right answer, and so you kind of swallow and say, okay, we'll do that. I, I, I say that to let you know that for 40 years or more, actually it's a little more than 40 years, we didn't have the experience of having to look for a church home. We were in Machias for many years. We went, to, we went to Corum. We were assigned there. We were very blessed by our time there. And then we came back to the Spokane Valley and had to find a church home. A lot of prayer, uh, a lot of days and nights reading doctrinal statements online uh, to, to see what they actually believe. And uh, we actually also made appointments with several pastors so that we could, we could talk to them. I really appreciate Pastor Ben spending time with us. Um, and so the Lord led us here. And I'm profoundly grateful. I am really grateful for the, the leadership of this church, the elders, the pastors. These are men who stand in the breach. They're in a spiritual war, and they stand for the truth of God's Word, dedicated to it. I'm so thankful for that, and I hope you pray for these men. I hope you pray that they will be protected as they stand in the breach. And I hope you let them know once in a while that you appreciate their ministry. I sure do. I really appreciate what they do. And this morning, I have the opportunity to share with you, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm also a little bit intimidated. I, I'm a village missions pastor. Our church in Corum, by the time we left, had about average 76 people on a Sunday. And we were one of the larger village missions churches around because village missions um, exist 
to provide full-time pastors to communities that may not be able to afford them. And they support them uh, and uh, until the church can become self-supporting. Uh, many of them just can't because there's not enough people there to support their ministry. And so it's a great ministry. It's a ministry that we really believe in. But honestly, there's a lot more people here than I'm used to preaching to. Uh, One particular church that I fill the pulpit in, uh, they are ecstatic when they have double digits on Sunday morning. You know, 18 people is as, many, is as many people as they can ever expect, and usually it's 8 to 10. So there's a lot more of you here this morning I'm used to preaching to. So I need your prayer. I need your prayer this morning. And would you pray with me right now? Now, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity. And who is sufficient for this work? Lord, I recognize the weight of responsibility. I am to speak for you. I'm to deliver your word, and I can't do that on my own. So I would pray, Lord, first of all, that you would keep me from error, and secondly, that I would be faithful in preaching your truth. So, Lord, give me the words to speak. As I say, keep me from error, inhabit my words, so that your pristine truth could go forth. And we'll give you the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's New Year's Eve. That's kind of a spoiler alert, isn't it? I know you knew it was New Year's Eve. But as Caleb said a few minutes ago, uh, I I think it's it's good for us on New Year's Eve. It's a time of reflection for many of us. It is for me. We think back on the previous year and... And I praise God for his provision. I praise God for uh, all that he's given us. I mean, his grace is obvious every day. And perhaps also, as we think back over the previous year, we we think about disappointments we've collected, about failures that we've made, these regrets, these sins that we foolishly stumbled into. But this is also a time for looking forward. My computer just blew up on me. That's all right. The Lord's with me. For resolutions for some. Now, now I realize that New Year's resolutions are a little bit of a shaky thing. Oftentimes, uh, you know, they last maybe a couple of days or a couple of weeks, and then we fall off the wagon, so to speak. But, but it is a good thing to look forward, and, and it's a good time for us to ask God what he has for us in the following year. What is his will for us? I certainly ask that God would help me be more godly in my behavior. So what is God's will for us in 2024? You know what? God's will isn't lost. We don't actually have to look for it. It's right here. It's right in the Bible. So I wonder if you would turn with me to the book of Jude. Jude, short letter, or towards the end of the New Testament, right before Revelation. It's one of those letters that if you go too fast, you miss it. And um, 
We'll look at, uh, we're going to look at the first four verses this morning. Jude has an important exhortation for all of us, for every Christian. And as we roll into the new year, it's something I think we should all take to heart because he's enlisting us to engage in a battle for truth. And that truth is the pristine truth of the gospel. Jesus prayed to the Father on the night he was betrayed, and he said, one of the things he said, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. Jude is exhorting us to stand for this truth. And this truth has been under attack for 2,000 years now. It's under attack by the fallen culture of the world, that's for sure, but it's also under attack from the agents of Satan who have infiltrated the visible church. And while we know Jesus is continuing to build his church and the gates of Hades literally don't have a chance. Jesus promised that. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against her. We, though, have the privilege and the responsibility of laboring for his kingdom. We're his servants, his fellow heirs. We need to take that seriously. So I wonder if you would stand with me as you're able as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Book of Jude, beginning with verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are the called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. God's people said, would you be seated? <laughs> well, this letter begins with a typical Salutation, we see that from uh, many of the writers of the New Testament. Jude identifies himself as a bondservant of Jesus and the brother of James. Now, he doesn't say so explicitly, but most theologians agree that Jude is very probably, and I believe he is, the younger half-brother of Jesus. We read about that. James is a half-brother of Jesus, and so... Uh, we believe uh, he's speaking of James the Just, the head of the Jerusalem church. And he tells us he's writing to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to us. And in verse 2, he pronounces a blessing. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. So verses 1 and 2 comprise the greeting of this letter but there's a lot of good theology in here, and I hate to just skim over it because there's a lot of important stuff that we could be talking about, but I really want to get to verse 3 because that's the charge. And Jude 
As Jude began to compose his letter, it seems that he planned on writing about our common salvation. And what a glorious subject that is. You know what? That's, I love to talk about our common salvation, don't you? I mean, it's a glorious thing. The Son of God became flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then sacrificed that life on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and yours. But he didn't stay dead. After three days, he rose from the dead and appeared to many witnesses over 40 days. Then he ascended to sit down at the right hand of the Father. And right now, he is interceding for us, for you and for me. And one day, he will return to gather all who believe in him together. And we will reign with him in a restored creation where there won't be any any, any tears, there won't be any pain, there won't be any illness, there won't be any death, and best of all, there won't be any sin. That's the gospel. And Jude wanted to write about this, and who could blame him? <laughs> what, a, what a great thing. But the Holy Spirit had other ideas. And he writes, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, contend earnestly is an interesting word in the Greek. It's actually a single word, but it's a compound word. Uh, the word literally means to, well, it means to contend. It, it, it means to struggle, to strive, or to compete, but... There's a prefix. The prefix is epi, and, and that intensifies the meaning. So, if I may, we're, we're, it, it really means to contend most earnestly, earnestly, to give it everything you've got. So it's a very strong word. And what are we to contend for? We're to contend for the faith the truth of the gospel, the gospel that was delivered to all believers through the apostolic witness, the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. You know, one of the things that I was fond of saying you know, when I preached in Quorum was, I am not called to be innovative. I'm called to deliver the truth that has already been handed down by the apostles. And the prophets shouldn't be tough for us because God wrote it down for us. It's right here. I'm holding his truth in my hands. And in verse 4, Jude tells us why this is so important. You see, there's a persistent problem facing the church. The problem is there are preachers and teachers within the visible church who claim to be Christians but are actually agents of Satan. Jude writes, certain men have crept in unnoticed. They've infiltrated the church. They're subversive. And we see that today. We've seen it for 2,000 years. We see it today. It breaks my heart to say this. One of the reasons that we spent so much time researching local churches 
was because so much of what is preached in the name of Christianity is actually heresy. I remember one time I had a in quorum I had had a a woman visit for the very first time and and uh, she sat through our our worship service and came up afterwards and and she was very complimentary. She says I really enjoyed worshiping with you, and then she said. I usually just watch TV. I go to church at home, watch TV. Well, um, you know, there's, there are times when that's necessary. But I, I, I think it's best to gather with the saints in person. But she said, I just wonder what you think of, and then she mentioned a very famous and successful, at least by the world standards, pastor, a huge church, the largest churches in the nation. She asked me this, and, and my immediate uh, reaction was, uh, I don't think much of them. That wasn't very gracious, and I wish I had that back. But it was honest. And she said, well, why? He makes me feel so good about myself. And I said, well, you know what? That might be a red flag right there. It's not about making you feel good about yourself. It's making you feel good about Jesus. There are many subversive preachers in the visible church. And these men, Jude says, are attempting to turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are false teachers who are perverting that glorious doctrine of grace. And it's probably a sort of proto-Gnosticism, if you want to put a label on it. It really is antinomianism, what they're talking about. And the idea here is that since we are saved by grace, we are no longer subject to the moral law of God. Now, if you take that to the logical conclusion, it's we're saved by grace, so let's party hardy. Doesn't matter how we live our lives right now. Let sin abound, that grace might abound. Well, those that preach that doctrine are completely denying the gospel. False teachers have always been a problem for the church. The Bible warns us about it. Jesus warns us about it. In Matthew, he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. And in Matthew 24, he says, Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many, and because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And then later in the same chapter, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That is sobering. That's sobering. And Paul, in Acts chapter 20, met with the Ephesian elders in his way to Jerusalem. And he exhorted them to faithfully shepherd the flock. And the reason, 
He tells them in verse 29 of chapter 20, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And then to Timothy he worked, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that verse illustrates a very important fact, a very important principle. Many of the false teachers are themselves deceived. They actually believe the heresy that they're preaching about. What I'm saying is sincerity is no test of truth. You can be sincere, but be sincerely wrong. And in 2 Thessalonians, we find out why. This is another one of those really sobering verses. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's sobering to me because I already know I have three enemies as a Christian. I've got the world, the unbelieving world around me. I've got the flesh because I'm still dragging around this mud jug that this, uh, has a tendency to sin all the time. And I've got, of course, our big enemy, Satan. But here, Paul is saying, if you don't develop a love of the truth... God will send strong delusion that you might believe the lie. What chance do you have if God's against you? We need to develop the love of the truth. And Jesus warned us, Paul warned us, so does Peter. Peter says in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, but there will also be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring, them on, uh, bring on themselves swift destruction. And then there's John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits rather they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, when the Bible warns us about something, we need to pay attention. And when the Bible warns us about something over and over and over again, we better sit up and take notice. Because it is a problem. False teachers and false teaching present a pervasive problem for the church. And if we are to contend for the faith, we have to recognize the tactics of the enemy. And we have to stand for the truth. Christian, it's so important that you know what you believe and why you believe it. This is the truth. We need to test every teaching from the truth of the Bible. False teachers are subversive. They claim to be what they are not. False teachers twist the truth of Scripture. False teachers are often self-deluded, and false teachers face sure condemnation. They will not prevail Satan won't prevail. Okay, here's a spoiler alert for you. 
I, I read the end of the book. Jesus wins. It, it, it's a, a foregone conclusion. So they're not going to win. But we have to be careful about them. In order to contend earnestly for the faith, you need to understand and embrace your secure position in Christ. You know, the faith to believe is a gift from God. And if you believe and confess Jesus as your Lord, what you're doing is asserting that He has authority over you. If He's the Lord, curios, you are His doulos, His bondservant. That means He gets to call the shots. You know, one of the most convicting statements of Scripture, at least it is for me, is when Jesus cries out, I think it with a bit of frustration, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Isn't that a good question? We need to be obedient. So Jude is writing to us. He's writing to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And like I said before, this is more than a greeting. This is, there's a bunch of theology here. Because if you are a true Christian, if you're an authentic Christian, it is because you were called by God. You're chosen. Because you were loved by God, the Father, before there was a universe. Before there was a time. And God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that soak. Think about that. What a glorious truth that is. And if you have been chosen, then Jesus is going to keep you. You're, you're secure in Christ. Absolutely secure in Christ. And Jesus said, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are absolutely secure in him. And that's important because we have a powerful enemy. And Satan would have like nothing more than to destroy the church. But friends, he's already been defeated. You know, in a previous life, <laughs> I, I was a high school teacher and a coach. And I spent some time as a high school basketball coach. I like to tell folks that I had to quit for medical reasons. My parents were sick of me. But we had some success, and we had some good teams. And in the fourth quarter, if we, we, we were up big, you know, 20, 30 points. I always put in the end of the bench. I played everybody. I emptied the bench. I'd give the scrubs a chance to play. And most of the time... I'll be honest, it wasn't pretty. You know, there's a reason they were on the end of the bench. But you know what? They gave it their all. Because they got in the game. They had a chance to play. They saw it as a privilege. And I loved watching how hard they strived. And yeah, they couldn't shoot a lick. Yeah, they'd dribble the ball off their foot. But they were working hard working hard to do what they had to do. And it was okay because 
Well, the game had already been decided. We were ahead so far that there was no chance that we were going to lose. Well, Jesus has already defeated Satan. And he's put us into the game. And we're playing out garbage time. Okay, yeah, I know. I kind of called you a bunch of scrubs. All right. But I relate to that. All right. You, you know, don't you, that Jesus doesn't actually need us? I, I mean, he spoke the world into existence. It's not like he needs us to do stuff. But he has privileged us to work alongside him for the kingdom. And that should excite us. We get to get into the game. And just like those players on the end of the bench, we should be giving it everything we've got. And we can do so with confidence because we're not going to mess it up. The victory's already been won. There's a great passage that is so encouraging. Actually, all of Romans chapter 8 is is encouraging. But I'd just like to read verses 29 and 31 of Romans 8 right now. Just listen to this and let it soak in. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? So if you're to contend for the faith, you need to understand what the faith is. And you need to remember who we are in Christ. We are elect, we are called, we are saved, we're secure, and we get to get into the game. We've got a job to do. And Jude gives us an essential prescription for our Christian lives, an essential prescription for our Christian lives. We're to contend earnestly for the faith which was once handed down to the saints. See, if you understand and embrace your secure position in Christ, you need to understand that you have a job to do. We are Jesus' bondservants, and bondservants serve him. And you have a ministry. Now, I I hope you realize your good works do not contribute to your salvation in any way. This is laid out clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Your good works do not contribute to your salvation. But we must not stop at the end of verse 9, because verse 10 says something very interesting. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These false teachers that said, oh, you're saved by grace. You don't have to worry about how you live your life. Didn't read the next verse. We have a job to do. Every Christian has a ministry. And we're all gifted differently. So the flavor of our ministry will look different based on the gifts that the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon you. But every Christian has a ministry. And Jude is giving us these marching orders. And Peter does as well. 
And, and you know, the Bible's its own best commentator. We, we really need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We are, according to Peter, to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. That, that portion with reverence and a good conscience and gentleness, that's how we battle. That's how we contend. We can't contend for the faith by being obnoxious. We can't contend for the faith by being overly contentious. We need to be the aroma of Christ to those who are yet to believe. To contend for the faith is to eagerly but humbly share the truth of the gospel. So I would ask you, in 2024, or 2024, Will you be a contender or will you be a pretender? I'm praying that I'd be a contender. Jude exhorts us to be contenders. And to do that, we need to prepare ourselves for this task. One way we can do this is by sitting under sound biblical preaching and teaching. And praise God, we have that here. I am so thankful for our pastors, so thankful for our elders. They follow the biblical mandate, the biblical uh, model. We find it in Nehemiah 8.8, where they read distinctly from the Word of God, explained the same, gave the sense, explained the meaning. That's what we're to do, and that's what our pastors do every Sunday. So thankful for that. But we also need to engage in serious and consistent Bible study ourselves. We need to, to dedicate ourselves to that because we need to know what the Bible says and we need to know what the Bible means so that we can then faithfully tell others what great things God has done for us. You know, I, longtime pastor of ours, I consider him a mentor. He used to say that he had, he had a couple of sayings that I thought were very, very interesting and very important. One of the things was, you know, evangelism really is the act of kicking corpses. Well, that's kind of gross. But no, he's right. Before you believe, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And one thing that we know is that dead people make notoriously bad listeners. So the idea is, you're going to tell people what great things God has done for you, but you're not going to be able to argue them to, for, to Christ because that's the Holy Spirit's job to bring them to spiritual life. But when you kick them and they moan, then you can work on making them disciples. He had, he had some other statements that were kind of interesting, but I won't share them this morning. So I exhort you to be contenders for the faith. And I want to finish this morning 
by jumping down to the end of Jude, the very end, verse 24. And this is a doxology, which is so encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Well, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to worship with these people this morning. So thankful for this church. So thankful for our pastors and for our elders and for the good biblical teaching we enjoy. I pray that we would be faithful to your word. I pray that we would indeed be contenders for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.